0: So this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the law and how uh, it relates to our lives. Uh, how Paul teaches here that we are to think about the law and how we are not to think about the law. We'll get into a little bit of um, church leadership and what role does church leadership play in your life and in the role of uh, the understanding of Scripture in your life and and how do we how do we Go about respecting our pastors and our elders and our leaders, and how far should we go in submission to them? Uh, Is there a standard by which we can gauge and test them? Or should we just uh, say, okay, he's the pastor or the elder or the leader or the whatever. Uh, I'm going to do exactly what he says. So we're going to look at some of that stuff. We're going to get into that. Uh, we'll look at several different things, but uh, before we do, uh, before we get into any of that, I want to pray and I want to ask the Lord to open up our eyes, to open up our hearts, to understand the scriptures, and to know how to rightly apply them to our lives. I've said it many, many, many times. Uh, if, if we're doing things right, uh, you could replace me at any time, not that I want you to, but because whoever's standing on this stage, as long as he just opens up the Bible and clearly and accurately teaches God's Word, that is enough. That's what we need. Hey, John, you said that really excitingly like you, we could replace me at any time now. I'm not really... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but in all seriousness, we really, it is only the word that is powerful. You know, If I come with great oratory skills or uh, charismatic giftings, Paul actually says, if I make myself out to be too much as I proclaim, then I empty the cross of its power. I've preached in vain. He said, I come uh, uh, decided that I know nothing among you but the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, we cannot elevate ourselves as pastors or proclaimers of the word. Even you in your uh, individual evangelical efforts or however, in, in your testimony, in your pursuit of those around you, don't try to be too smart and lofty and philosophical and all this kind of stuff. Just know your Bible and be able to relate them to the scriptures. Because the scriptures are powerful, they're efficient, they're living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, they pierce all the way down to know the intentions and thoughts of the heart. You see, Heath, I can only know you, if you sit on the front row here, just know that you open yourself up, okay? I can only know you to the degree that you will allow me to know you, right? I can only know, Brandy, as, as much as you'll let me know and as much as you'll let me in and as we conversate, as your pastor, you, any of you, I can only know as much as you'll let me know and I can speak into that to a certain degree as much as you'll let me know. But if I speak the word with reference to what you've told me, it's like shooting an arrow. And, and while I speak it and I pull it back, when I let that arrow go, the arrow It goes all the way to the heart. The arrow knows. The word of God knows. You see, you may only tell me just a little bit, but as I speak the word of God into that, and how many times now have I I said, as I speak the word into that, as I speak the word into that, as I speak the word into that, you want to know how to rightly help your children to grow up to know the Lord and be men and women of God? you want to know how to rightly and accurately help your husband or your wife in their time of need or in their trial and their struggle, you've got to what? You've got to know the word because you've got to speak the word. It's not just the pastor that speaks the word in boldness and power, but it is the Christian who speaks the word in boldness and power. And when you speak the word, what did we say last week? That God's word is as good as deed because when God speaks, it's done. In the beginning was God, right? And God said, let there be light. And there was God said, let there be. God said, God said. And when he said it, it was done. We must know the word of God. The emphasis through this series has been definitely on what? The word of God. The gospel, the one true gospel, the one true word of God. When we get into the scriptures today, I want us to, I was, I want us to get an understanding of and, and ask the Lord as we, we're gonna pray here in just a second, but I want to, I want us to ask the Lord, God, how would you have me to understand the word uh, that you have given? Uh, give me insight, not only insight, but write it onto my heart and 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 make it come alive inside of me, as Jesus said, that 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 the, the life that he gives will become this eternal spring, this well of life, this eternal life, this spring that comes up and out. write this on my heart. Uh, Help me to understand it. Help me to live in it and help it to be that which is freeing to me. The truth will set you free. Uh, We need uh, to hear the word of God. We need to apply the word of God and not just be hearers, but to be doers as well. Amen. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we come before you asking that you uh, would write on our heart the word that's about to be proclaimed. Holy Spirit, please teach us and lead us into what the Father has said and had written uh, through the apostles and the prophets. God, help us to understand uh, what Jesus Christ has done. Holy Spirit, we would ask that that you would enlighten us uh, how you have sealed us for the day of redemption and, and how we are no longer slaves that we are Children, how we are no longer uh, uh, under the law in the same way as we uh, are, are not under a taskmaster, but we are part of the family. God, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to to, to see what Christ has done? through the proclamation of the Father and been applied to our lives uh, through you. And, And I pray that that would all come to light, it would come alive, and that we would leave here in awe this morning of the manifest glory of Jesus Christ. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so excited to get into the Word, and I want you to continue to grow and continue to expand. And I'm telling you, the way that you do that is to know the Word, go out into the community, and just have conversations. Your conversations should be riddled with the Word of God. You should know it so well. That's why memorization is so important. This is not a legalistic thing. I'm not like, you better memorize at least two verses a week or you're out. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you need some ammunition. You need some power. You need some, some, some oomph. You need something to, to shoot. You know, There's nothing worse than being in a battle, reaching for an arrow and going, oh. Or reaching for your sword and it's not there we got to be good with the sword. we got to be good. Don't go out into the world uh, without your weaponry. What are you going to do? Are you going to give them good advice? We don't need good advice. We need godly wisdom. It's found in the Word of God. We're going to continue on today in Galatians, and we are, have arrived now at chapter 2. And again, I'm going to try my best to get through 10 verses in about 30 minutes, all right, 40 minutes maybe, an hour, give or take, <laughs> I'm going to try to get through 10 verses, because these 10 verses are one good, solid, complete thought. So I'm going to read the 10 verses, and I'm going to need you to stand up while I read the 10 verses so that we can give honor and respect to God's word. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Man, that's good. Right in line. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. That's going to be very um, important and key, too. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolate, For his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was uh, given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Now there is a a magnormous amount, if that's even a word, magnormous amount of information here. And as I study these scriptures, oh boy, does it take me to a million different places. And I've been looking at Catholic doctrine. I've been looking at the Reformation. I've been looking at the family aspect of the grace of God. I've been all over the place. But I think what the Lord would have me to show you and have me to bring out of these scriptures is a few different things so what we're going to do is like we've been doing in this series i love it we're just going to start and we're going to go verse by verse and we'll see how far we get and we'll see what god does amen sound good all right praise god all right, so uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, Here's the first two verses of chapter two, and what he's saying is he's he's building a timeline for us here, and I'll I'll have you to recall or remember the last time that I told you that this parallels with, and there's differing opinions on which trip is which, but Luke records for us in Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter 11, and Acts chapter 15, different trips where Paul and Barnabas came to Jerusalem. Now, Many would say that this is uh, recorded in Acts in chapter nine, and again in chapter eleven. I and many would say fifteen as well. I'm of the persuasion and conviction that this is talking about Acts chapter fifteen, the Jerusalem Council, when Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem and they put forth questions before the Jerusalem Council and the apostles at that at that time in that place uh, that they might solidify what. Paul was preaching as the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's going to be some little innuendos there because let me ask you do you think Paul, as he is uh, said in Galatians chapter 1, especially? Do you think he's going up to Jerusalem to get confirmation about his gospel? Like maybe Paul is wondering, well, I'm not sure if I have the right gospel or not. Let me go and ask the apostles if this is the right gospel. Or has he demonstrated very clearly and very strongly in chapter 1 that he did not receive this from men, that it was a revelation of Jesus Christ? What do you think? Revelation of Jesus Christ. So I think this under, it's, it's, it's important to understand what he was doing when he went to Jerusalem, when he says to make sure that I had not run in vain. You see how good the word is? You see how deep it is? And do you see how important it is not to just read it at face value and say, oh, okay. Because if you read that at face value and it says, where Paul says in chapter two, he says, so that I might make sure that I wasn't running in vain, we could very easily say, well, he needed to he needed to be confirmed by the other apostles to make sure that he wasn't telling a lie. But that's not the case. That would make the scriptures a little contradictory. But that's not the case. This is why context is important. Very important. Context is important. We must let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. Now, listen to this. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. Now, I don't want to really get really deep into all this, but there is a part in Acts chapter 11 where it says this in verse 27. This is why some people think it's 11. He says, now in these days, prophet, and I want to give you the other side of the argument that I don't think this this is the right understanding because I want you to judge for yourself. This is playing into my whole sermon as well. Listen to what it says here. Now in these days, now this is Acts chapter 11, verse 27 Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, many think that the correlation between Galatians chapter 2 is actually with Acts chapter 11 because of the revelation given to Agabus. You say, now, why do I care? I I don't even care. One, you should care about the Word. But two is, is that I don't think it can mean the revelation of Agabus because he's not speaking about someone else's revelation. Now, remember when I told you when we first started this that I didn't want to just teach you what Galatians said, but I want to teach you how to get to what Galatians said. Now, what you need to do that you say, well, I'm not a theologian. I'm not. It doesn't matter. This is not that big of a deal. All it is is looking at the scriptures, following some commentaries. You can get these free online at BibleHub.com. You can get a, a myriad of commentaries. You should care that much. You, should, you would do your research if you wanted a new ride or a new set of rims or a new gun or whatever it is. Don't tell me that I, you don't have time for that. And if you think I'm beating this horse to death, well, I think it's still breathing just a little, so let me kick him while he's down. You've got to be aware of the Scriptures, and you've got to care. Don't leave it to this guy up here, because how do you know I don't make a mistake? I'm not Paul. I'm not Paul. So when we get into these, you say, oh, okay, okay, what do you, okay, well, let's look at immediate context and let's see, why do I not think that it's the revelation given by Agabus about the famine that was going to come? Why do I not believe that? Context is key. Context is key. Listen to what he says here. And I went back and I looked at the original a little bit. Now, you might not do all of that, and that's perfectly fine. You don't have to. But I went back and I looked at the original, and this is actually says, I went up according to or in line with or in accordance with a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. Now, what would context? Now, to me, that I automatically start to relate the revelation with the gospel that he presented. It's right there. It's immediate context. It seems to me that the gospel that he presented was the revelation that was given. He's not talking about Agabus' revelation. He's talking about his revelation. And he uses those exact words in the context. If you'll listen back up in chapter 1, listen to what he says here in chapter 1. Let me find it here. Oh, here it is. In chapter 1, verse 12, he says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, all of this is going to be very important when we start to try to understand what is the role of the church in the life of the believer, because there is differing opinions and this is huge in your life, whether you know it or not. Because out of this understanding and as Luther started to look at Galatians and as some of the early reformers started to look at the, 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 the Galatian revelation and, and grace by faith in Romans 9 and 8 and 5 and 4 and 11 and, and all of these places, they started to say, hold on a second, hold on a second. It seems like the single rule of infallibility in our lives should be the scriptures and not any man. You see, the church, the the, the the Catholic Church, still to this day, and I don't. I mean, I don't have any beef. I don't. Even, I don't have any beef with the Catholic Church, other than uh, they've got some problems, some issues, internal issues. And some of you, I think, were Catholic, and you've come out of that. And now you're a Protestant, and some of you have no idea that there was a difference between Catholics and Protestants, and that's okay. One reason I'm here, I'm going to help you just a little bit. I don't have time to get into all the Catholic catech- catechisms and all. that. I don't have time for all that. But I will tell you this is that the Catholic Church believes in what's called sola ecclesia, or the sole authority of the church partnered with the authority of Scripture. But in uh, Catholic doctrine, sola ecclesia, or the authority of the church, supersedes the authority of the Scriptures because the church is the only one that can give you the proper interpretation of the Scriptures. Is are you following what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? So the church, in or, in line with, with Catholic doctrine, you cannot rightly understand the Scriptures apart from what they have told you the Scriptures have said. Therefore, they have elevated themselves above the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit's bearing witness to the individual of what the Scripture says. And they have taken them pl- themselves out of accountability and out of testing because we cannot, they, their followers, their members, They cannot look at the church and look at the Word and say, hold on, you've got it wrong. They say, no, because we're the only ones with proper understanding. It doesn't matter what you think it says. You say, why does that matter? It matters. One, it's why you're here today. The reformers saw this and they said, This is not right, this is not true. Uh, Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis to the door, and, and it was done. It was it, sh- it was begun. And they said, No, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us, and the scriptures are the sole infallible authority by which we judge anything. And this is the, 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 the authority that we judge our church leaders by as well. Now you say, Why are you telling me this in Galatians chapter 2? Because I want to show you, show it to you in Galatians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. Now, I believe that this is the revelation that he had of Jesus Christ. It is the one true gospel. He's not asking if it was good. He is telling them this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I went up because of a revelation. I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. We're going to get to that in just a second because we need to cover that but he says something here now mine's in a parenthesis in my bible in the original this is at the end of the sentence but this is like a a parenthetical thought this is kind of like paul saying you know like if i would tell you say uh you can you can go to the store i don't really care if you go or not we find that in the text it's kind of like a thought about what he was saying you know it's kind of like you know my wife would say are you going to get something to drink he's going to get me something to drink (laughs) you know say your wife ever do that to you are you going to the kitchen? What she actually means is, you're going to the kitchen. You're going to give me something to drink when you're in there. Then you're going to bring it back. He said, Paul, is he's making an, a, an afterthought. This is a, a type of, he's kind of specifying what he is saying. And he says here, I went up to because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or not running vain. He said, though privately before those who seemed influential. So here's the deal. Paul goes up to Jerusalem He's got a revelation of Jesus Christ. He wanted to meet with the elders. He sat down with with some of them privately that seemed like they had a lot of power and a lot of influence. Now, we don't know from the text necessarily who asked for it to be private. If it was Paul that said, hey, can I sit down with you without anybody else around? Or if it was them that said, Paul, we need to hear this before everybody else hears it. I tend, now this is my opinion, I tend to think it was the other way around. Because here you have Saul, who was a persecutor of the church. He's been uh, preaching this gospel, and you have the apostles with, the, with, with apostolic authority uh, in Jerusalem. And, and here comes Paul up to, to say some stuff. Wouldn't you, uh, if you were the leader, so to speak, of the churches, you seemed influential. Wouldn't you bring this guy into the office first and be like, Paul, let me hear what you got to say before you stand up in front of everybody. I know I would. You know, I have pre- people ask me about preaching sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. I need to check your theology. No, that's, that's good, right? I would be like, oh, yeah, go preach. No, we need to check. So Paul goes up. They sit down, probably have this conversation but then later on, he's going to say something else. So here we are. Paul is in Jerusalem. He's sitting down privately with some of them. He's having a conversation with them. He's telling them about the revelation of Jesus Christ that Jesus gave to him. He says, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, this could mean that he's worried that they're going to tell him this gospel is wrong and the work that you have done is has been in vain. It's been useless. It's been no good. But I don't think he can mean this. Again, context is key. Watch how the word of God, it interprets itself. So we ask the question, is Paul worried that they're going to tell him that his gospel is no good? All right, is he worried that they're going to add something to his gospel and they're not going to show it to be vain preaching? Well, no. Let's look at the immediate context. Skip on down to verse six. We're gonna we're gonna come back, but skip on down to verse six. He says, "And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. He wasn't worried about their power. He wasn't worried about their influence or their apostolic ministry. He didn't deny it, and he didn't uh, he didn't attack it. But he wasn't worried about." about it overwhelming his he he had a he had apostolic authority too he says right after that those i say who seemed influential added nothing to me so we understand now that paul wasn't worried about them adding to him or their influence that they might change him so we ask the question then well what does he mean here and how does it apply to us What is he saying here? What he's saying is is that those that had heard his gospel, those that had heard what he was saying, needed to confirm for the benefit of the people that they might not be led astray by the teachings of the false apostles. Do you understand what I'm saying? You catching what I'm throwing? You see, many times false teachers come in, and we're going to go ahead and, and read a little bit more because this is key to understanding here. Listen to what he says. Though privately before some, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. See, the context is king. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, to who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, So that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield even for a moment. You see? You see now why he went? Because he had these false teachers that was coming in, and he was defending them, boy. He was going at them. They were waging war over the text, or the the word, the revelation. Later, it will become the text. They were waging war, and Paul was saying, there is no other gospel. There is no other way. We do not need to be circumcised in order to gain salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus Plus the, the works of the law. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's just Jesus. Now, what he would say is, is that if you want to get circumcised, then that's fine. If you want to obey and, and follow these rituals that you uh, honor God with, then that's okay. He would actually tell some of them if you think it does you real good, just go ahead and cut the whole thing off. I didn't even make that up. That's in the Bible. But he's saying, I'm not against rituals that you do in honor of God. But don't think for a second that it, that it earns you the right of salvation. It is not. It is not essential to salvation. Salvation is through Christ and Christ alone is what he would say. Amen. This is important. Now, back to the Catholic Church and why the break and the separation. One is uh, the sola ecclesia. That's a problem because we, we put the authority of man over the authority of the church. And they would uh, say, well, it's the apostolic transmission of the ministry and all these things. And I believe you have to read a lot into the text to do that. And so they would say we have successors to the apostles that have what's called tradition. And these traditions are equal to the scriptures. Now, they've not been recorded anywhere. They're just oral traditions, so they can't be tested. And they say when the church says it, it's doctrine. And we could go into that, but there are some really twisted things in there. If you are struggling with Catholicism and the break from Catholicism and wondering why, come talk to me afterwards. We can have a long conversation. I can show you why. It really doesn't line up with the Scriptures, and you should really think twice. Now, what I'm not saying is every Catholic is an unbeliever. not saying that either. But many uh, have the understanding of grace, sovereign grace, faith alone through grace. They have that wrong, and therefore they struggle with what it means to be saved. Okay, but moving on, we see Paul here. He's going up to make sure that he hadn't run in vain, but he's doing this. It would be similar to if someone came into this church, and they were talking false uh. Uh, they were they were spreading false heresy or false doctrine or false gospel. And and I was saying to you, listen, this is not the word says. This is not the revelation. This is not what it is. And some of you were like, I don't know, I just don't understand it. Maybe he's got a point. And I would go down the street to the, the the Bible-believing church and I would say, Brother, you come to my church right now. We gotta settle this. And I brought in two, three, four. Uh I brought in some influential members of the Christian church that had their doctrine right, and they would look and they would say, He's right. These men are liars. Now, I didn't have any fear in the world that they were going to tell me, well, actually, Brandon, the Bible's wrong, and these guys are right. Did I have any fear of that? No. But we brought in, we had a conversation. And for the benefit of the people, the apostles confirmed the true revelation that Paul had. They added nothing to what he was saying. It says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, Uh, though he was a Greek. You see, this was huge because if you remember, if you're a good Bible scholar, if you're a good Bible student, you'll remember who was uh, said that you need to be circumcised. Anybody, huh? No, not Peter. Peter was circumcised, but it was Timothy. Timothy, after the revelation of Jesus Christ, was called to be circumcised. Now, there's been some confusion over this. I don't have a whole lot of time for this either. But the difference between—and this is what uh, Martin Luther would write on it—and I and I think this is worth reading here. Uh, uh, if I, I don't want to spend a lot of time looking for it, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time looking for it. But I, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. The bottom line is is that Paul teaches in several other instances. Now, in Acts, we see that Timothy was called to be circumcised, and this is after the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Paul never anywhere taught that circumcision was essential to salvation or any observance of the law was essential to salvation. But what he did believe in was not creating stumbling blocks for those who were weaker brothers. Now, this is absolutely key to us because... We want to say, I've got rights. I have rights to do this, even if you want to say you've got biblical rights. Paul does say, he says, I, ha- I am free to do all things. But he follows it up with, but not all things are beneficial to me. And, and, and if some of the things that I'm doing cause other people to stumble, I choose not to do those things. I choose not to eat meat or drink wine, lest I cause my brother to stumble. Now, many teetotalers, they would say, you should never drink alcohol because you're going to cause the unbeliever to stumble. That's not even what the text says. It actually says, you may have freedom in Christ to have a drink of alcohol. The Bible nowhere says no alcohol. It doesn't teach that. You show it to me. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 104, 14, it says, God gave wine to make man heart glad. Now, don't go get drunk tonight. Because the Bible teaches in so many places not to be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Wine is a mocker. So many places it it absolutely uh, warns us about the total destruction that alcohol can bring in your life. But he had had 4,000 years, over 40 authors and 66 books to say thou shalt not drink. But he didn't do it. So what we can't do is lord it over people and say, well, he should have said it. You feel me? If you, if you condemn someone for having a sip of alcohol, you've done something that God didn't do. Now, I'm not saying go drink. If you're convinced convinced and convicted not to drink, praise God. I know many of you in this room right here that you will never touch a sip of alcohol, and I say, praise God. Don't give the enemy a room. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give him a, the slightest inch. But don't you look down on your on your brothers and and say something to them and and condemn them when God doesn't do it. Now, if they're getting drunk, we need to go to them in love. And we need to correct that in love in the hope that they would return to the gospel. But the reason I say this is, is that it was for the brother. It was for the weaker Christian. Paul says there, he says, I have freedom to do all things, but not all things are beneficial. But I refuse to take uh, for granted. I refuse to... uh, to, to make use of some of my freedoms because some of my brothers they can't understand the fact that I have freedom. So if you have a glass of wine with your wife when you're at home in the in the closed doors of your home and you go and you go out to a restaurant and you will not have a glass of wine at a restaurant, you're not being a hypocrite. You're being smart because in Landrum, South Carolina, if I did drink wine, if somebody, if not the unbelievers, they'd be like, "What's up, dog? You want us?" It might give me a window. I'll be like, Jesus. You know, no, no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not for them, but it's for those that can't understand that. And they see me out and they see me with a glass of wine and they're very religious. They just struggle with legalism. Then I cause them to stumble. It's not the unbeliever, it's them. And I don't, even though I think they're weird, I'm not going to cause them to stumble. I love my, my Baptist brothers. I love my independent brothers. I love those who have great, Great respect for the morality in the Scriptures, and they don't want to even hint at immorality. That's great. That's great. I don't want to cause them to stumble. You say, why are you telling me all of this? What's this got to do with the text? Well, this is why Paul would call Timothy to be circumcised and not Titus. Because Timothy, in his context, was around a bunch of Judeo-Christians who still observed circumcision. And Paul did not want to cause them to fall. Remember, Paul was the one that said, I became all things to all men that I might win as many as possible. To the weak, I became weak. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the strong, I became strong. To the poor, I became poor, and so on and so forth. And see... Here's, here's a point. Some of you say, well, I don't, I don't give a darn about them other well, the weaker brothers. I'm having my beer. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, uh, let me correct you on that. Let me correct you on that. Timothy was, was <laughs> Paul and Timothy, Timothy, I'm going to say Timothy, he was willing to get part of his <laughs> cut off so that he would not offend And you're going to demand the right to drink your beer in public? At least I'm not trying to cut off your... (laughs) Get it right. How important are the scriptures? How important is it to to have no appearance of, of evil? How important? We guard our testimonies and we guard those around us. Use wisdom. There's a such thing as Christian conscience. Use it wisely. Listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. Now, this is dangerous preaching, isn't it? This is dangerous preaching. Because the fundamental would come in the room right now, that's what, that's what Paul's fighting against. This is exactly what Paul's fighting against. There's, there may be some spies in here today. For real. There may be some spies. Who? I ain't, there may be some spies. And they may go hit up Facebook. Brandon Paul Reed just said it's cool to drink alcohol and get drunk. I ain't never said that one time. And y'all better defend me if it comes out on Facebook or Twitterific or whatever. I did not say that. I did not. I said, where the you speak, where the Bible speaks, and where it doesn't speak, you shut up. Because you are not God. And if God wanted it there, he would have put it there. Amen? And he doesn't need us to do his, his law work. He doesn't need a, a bunch of super troopers. Walking around fact checking everybody? How many of you had? What percentage is that? <laughs> Isn't the word fun? I'm almost out of time. And I ain't even got two five yet. Okay. But you see, you see what's going on here, and and I do need to get into this. Now, what's the role of the church? I, I, need to, I need to get into this because I want to show you. Because while I don't believe that the Catholics have it right in sola ecclesia, where the church is the final authority to even tell us what the word would say and therefore elevate the church authority over the, the authority of the scriptures, I do believe that the church leadership carries a lot of influence. And... The Word of God tells us that it is the church, the leadership of the church, is the agency, it is the the funnel, it is the pipeline, it is the roadway that Christ uses to inform His people, to help steer His people, and to guide His people in the ways of righteousness and the ways of truth. So God has given you, me and the other leaders in the church and the other leaders in other churches, in order to help you to understand what God has done and what he has written in his word. Now, the the question then is asked, well, what type of authority is that? And are they held to uh, the word of God, to a standard that we can test them by? And I would say, yes. Uh, Paul says here in in verse 4, he says, Yet because of false brothers secretly bought in who slipped in despite our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, maybe I will get through all of it today because that's one big fault. Okay. So Paul is saying here, I went up, and their authority was absolutely powerful. Now, there's a little bit of a disconnect between the church authority today and that which Paul was walking into then. Anybody know why? Anybody? Why would it be that the the leadership that Paul was going to is different from the leadership that you're going to? They were apostles. They carried a different type of authority. They carried a different type of authority. Now, I'm going to tie that together here because that's right on the money there, Mick. That's that's perfect. Because what we must ask now, because Paul was going to them and they seemed to have a lot of authority, right? They were the ones that could confirm the truthfulness of the gospel. Now, if we look at this in one sense, we say, well, that's, man the catholic church is right if we're unsure about anything we don't take we don't check it through context and hermeneutics and exegesis we just need to ask the right church leader and this is the problem in the catholic church is that they feel that apostolic authority has been transmitted by tradition you're getting a lesson today. I know. I know this is a little bit deeper than what you might be used to in your church, but this is important because this is why we broke from the Catholic Church. It's because now with the with the bodily assumption of Mary and and with the uh, the, the the sacrificial. Uh, uh, bread that they say is actually the body of Jesus Christ, several different teachings that we can't find in the Scripture and we can't find in early church fathers. They are saying this is dogmatic, meaning that if you don't believe this, you can't be saved. But the Scripture nowhere talks about the ascension of Mary. Nowhere. it's not. It can't be found. But they are saying you must believe in Jesus Christ and this in order to be saved. You see the problem there? So if Paul is going up and saying that church fathers and apostles, or not church fathers, erase that, The those that had apostolic authority, if they were the only ones that could confirm not that his gospel was accurate for his sake, but for the sake of his hearers, then why wouldn't that apply to church leadership today? And why are the Catholics then wrong about this transmission? And I believe that we can find that here. Hold on one second. When Paul speaks, uh, he speaks in such a way that we understand that it's the Word of God that is influential and authoritative over everything else. And if we go to 2 Timothy, verse three sixteen, it reads as follows. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now what we understand Paul saying is, is that revelation that was given to the apostles and written down and canonized for us to understand. This this verse right here is speaking of Old Testament scriptures that they already had. But it extends out to absolutely apply to those scriptures that would be canonized and written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, all these guys. And this is the infallible rule and authority of our faith. Now, what he would say is when Paul speaks and Luke recorded it, he would say, what? He said, the Bereans were more noble than the rest, for they did not fail to go back and test what we had said by the word of God. Essential scripture. Who was he testing? Who was he testing? He was testing the apostles. He said, this is noble. So we would still agree with Paul and say, those that, that had apostolic authority, they would have been able to say what the, church, that, what the Catholic church wants to say. They would have been able to say, this is not right. Thus saith the Lord, this is not right. This is not the gospel, for this is the gospel, what I I received in divine revelation from God. But does anybody get that anymore? Does the Bible not clearly say, do not add one word to what's been written? Does it not say, test everything by the word of God? Does it not say that the word of God is, is theonustos, breathed out by God himself? You see, it is the scriptures. And the sad thing is, is that at this point, the office of apostle is gone. We have no new revelation. And while I still believe in the gift of apostle and the gift of prophecy, the gift of evangel, the office of prophet, the office of apostle are closed. There is no new revelation Therefore, if a prophet comes up to you, and I don't hesitate to use that because it's so twisted in our in our culture today. People coming up saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. No. Unless you're quoting the Bible. If someone comes to you and says, I've got a word that the Lord wants to give to you. I believe that still happens. I believe the Holy Spirit still speaks. If you don't believe that, I'm not sure where you find that in scripture. The Holy Spirit still speaks. The The God still shows this thing. God still gives us word. But here's here's the thing. When the apostles gave a word, it was to be written down as God's word. And it could not be wrong. It could not change. It could not be contradictory to any other place in Scripture. When a prophet these days operating in the gift of a prophet gives a word, it is to be tested by the Scriptures. Someone comes to you and says, I got a word for you. The Lord wants to bless you. You're going to get a job in about three, you're going to get a job offer in about three days. You need to take it. You need to test that to the scriptures. What does it say? That if someone gives a prophecy and it doesn't come true, that was not a prophet. Someone comes to you and says, You got something in your life. This is what it is. Bang, 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 bang. This is what you need to do about it. Bang, 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 bang. You say, I appreciate that word. I'm going to go to my Bible and see if you got anything. You're clicking on any cylinders. It's the Word of God. You see, it's the Word of God. So, so the, the Catholic Church will believe sola ecclesia. We, as Protestants, believe sola scriptura, meaning that the, the Word of God is the divine, divine authority that we test everything by. And so we'll end on this, and the guys can come on up from the band. I had some other stuff I was wanting to do, but this is what the Lord wanted to do. So he says that they added nothing to me, but it was the Word of God. And this was recorded as the Word of God. If you go and you read in Acts chapter 15, it'll show you uh, that they sent out a letter, actually. And they said that we are not to command circumcision. And we are not to force anybody, just like they didn't force Titus, to be circumcised. Because the law of God can never bring salvation. It is through Christ alone. I am going to end this way. Now, your church leaders should have authority in your life. You should respect what I say. You should respect your other leaders. If you have a problem, feel free to come to us and ask us. But we are also testable because we're fallible. And you, if I preach a non-truth and something that contradicts Scripture, you need to check that. And we need to have a conversation, a loving conversation, but we need to have a conversation. But you should also have respect for your leaders. If I like, Okay, and I'm not even being funny right now. I told you, you're, you're under my authority here. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not putting my authority over you. If you're here, then you've chosen to be under my authority. I'm the teaching pastor in this church. I'm one of three. We all have equal authority in the church. But God has placed a vision in this church. Now, you've chosen to submit to the leadership of this church. And I came before you this morning, and I said, there is a need in our church. You need to give of your time. If you're not in a bucket group and you don't have ministry going on on Wednesday nights, I need for you to give your time to our children here. Now, how many will just say, I oh, forget him, man, he'll know, and just walk right out the door? I'm not even being funny. Let's see how many, and I'm not trying to guilt you in anything. If God's not calling you that and you could care less, then do, what, do your own thing. But if you care about the ministry and if you care about what I'm telling you or needs in the ministry, then your pastor is telling you there's a need. And if we don't have some help, we're going to have to start turning kids away that won't get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how important is what you're doing on Wednesday night? Being honest with you right now. There's an evangelism team that goes over to Spruce Pine every Monday night. They're struggling. They don't have people to go with them. There's mission teams I don't know what we have to do to, for me to look at you and say, as your pastor, get busy. Many of you are busy because nobody else will be busy. Many of you are working your fingers to the bone in ministry. You're spending lots of money, spending lots of time, and spending lots of effort ministering to those around you. While some of you, you just come here and then you go out. You come here and you go out. Well, I may not gain a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand, forty thousand member congregation by saying it, but Stop being a a life sucker and not ever pouring back into the church. I'm going to tell you how it is, okay? It's not benefiting you and it's not benefiting the community. If you've been going to this church for three weeks and you're trying to figure it out, praise God, I'm not even talking to you. But if you've been going to this church for three months, four months, a year, two years, and you're still not doing anything, shame on you. All you're doing is taking resources that could be given to somebody else that Will go out and minister for the kingdom. I'm not here to babysit anybody. I'm not here to make you laugh. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to let you know that God has a plan for you, and your plan is to be a warrior for God and to build the kingdom of God. Other than that, all of this is a waste of time. You say, well, I'm leaving. Well, then you should have never been here. I don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's tough, ain't it? That's hard. But I'm for real. I'm serious about this building the kingdom. We need workers. We need you to get busy. Get your hands dirty. Get down on your knees with a kid that's four years old, five years old, asking questions about Jesus. Get down on your knees, and they're going to touch you. They might have doo-doo on their hand. <laughs> the struggle is real. but all glory to God for that doo-doo on your face. Let's get bit. We got to get dirty. We got to get in the trenches, right? It's not all like Billy Graham crusades, preaching and and... and 3,000 got saved. No. It's getting kicked while you're down, getting made fun of, nobody showing up for your ministry, nobody responding to your call until that one day. Until that one day, that child, and and this is where we will end it, if we can all stand to our feet, because this is the beauty. You see that song that we sang, No Longer Slaves? You see the gospel that Paul is preaching here is saying that you can't, You oh, let me read Luther says it really good, and I do have this one uh, recorded here so I can read it real quick. Listen to this right here. How important is it that we not allow the law or observance to the law to become essential to salvation? If you allow observance of the law to become essential to salvation, it will kill you. You will have no joy. You will have no peace. You will have no redemption. Listen to what Luther says. He says, We refuse to have our conscience bound by any work or law so that by doing this or that we should be righteous. Or leaving this or that undone, we should be damned. It is not by observing the law and doing what you're supposed to do that you are righteous before God and breaking the law will not damn you before God. It is Jesus Christ that sets us free and keeps us. Praise God. You see, before Christ, you were under a legal contract between you and God. You guys can go ahead and play. You guys are under a legal binding contract between you and God. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, he says, this can not save. You've broken the deal. You've broken the deal. You sinned. Before a sinless, perfect God who loved you like you've never been loved. You see, before Christ, before redemption, you are under a contract and you have broken the deal. And therefore, you will pay. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The pay is death. But you see, moving into redemption, moving into Jesus Christ, outside of the law, we move from law to grace. Grace. And we, we no longer are bound through contract because the contract was broken through the shedding of blood and fulfilled. And now we are under covenant. Covenant, you see. A covenant is a promise. A promise that God says through the shedding of blood and through the giving of my son, I will draw unto myself a people. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And I will love them and I will never forsake them no matter what they do. The Bible says that though we are faithless, he is faithful. I know this is dangerous preaching. I know it is. I know that many of you might hear me saying, do whatever you want to and still get to go to heaven. God knows that's not the right answer. God knows your heart is dark. You'll answer for that, not me. Because the children of God, they don't want an excuse to sin. They want a family to be a part of. You see, while you were a slave through contract, now you're a child through covenant. And Romans chapter 8 would say it like this, uh, we have not received a spirit of slavery that would lead us back to fear. No, We've, we've received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, now we're family. Now let me tell you something. If you're not my family... And you come against me, I'm going to cut you off. If you're not my family and you sin against me, I'm going to cut you off a lot faster. You come against me and you hurt my family, I'm going to hurt you. You come against me, you're going to get cut off. But if you're part of my family, that's why we got 40-year-old kids at home smoking dope and playing video games. Mama won't turn them out. You see, when you're part of the family, it's not about what you do it's about who you know it's not about what you've done it's about what's been done see my son had no part in his birth it was all me and his mama he had no part and he'll always be my son whether he wants to leave or not are you under contract or are you under covenant Are you part of the family or are you an outside observer? You know in your heart of hearts. Are you right now under the condemnation of the law and of sin in your life? You see, we understand we're sinners, don't we? Oh man, I do. But we have a hard time understanding grace and the fact that we're saints in the eyes of God through the redemption of Jesus Christ. You see, even though your sin's been paid for and it's been forgiven, you can't forgive yourself. You know what you're saying when you can't forgive yourself even though Christ has already forgiven you? Really what you would need to do is, is to look at Jesus and say, yeah, I know you forgave me, Jesus, but you just didn't know. Jesus, I, I know that... I know. Your word says that you can cover any sin, but not this one. Really, it's looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you wasn't enough. You weren't enough. We need another sacrifice. Jesus, I'll, be, I'll make a better sacrifice than you, so I'm going to sacrifice and, and crucify myself. Because you weren't enough of a sacrifice. Child of God, stop wallowing in your sins. Child of God, stop, stop walking around in condemnation your sins were paid for in full they're covered by the blood your sins are washed away you stand white as snow husband forgive your wife wife forgive your husband forgive your children be quick 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 to forgive be quick to repent be quick to ask forgiveness and let it go For your sin is as far as the east is from the west in Jesus Christ. And no law can do that. So do not stand condemned or righteous because of the law. But stand forgiven in Jesus Christ.